Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And so, let us begin. And as the fabric takes its shape in front of you, Always keep the structure entirely in mind as you inscribe it. First, you must measure out or cast the area in as exact a manner as can be, and then you must draw the plot and make the scale. I have imparted to you the principles of terror and magnificence. For these you must represent in the due placing of parts and ornaments, as well as in the proportion of the several orders. You see, Walter, how I take my pen. Gosh, that's a bit like one of those programs like the Tales of the Unexpected, but some, someone in an armchair yeah. uh, with a cravat and a dressing gown on is addressing us, isn't he? I must tell you a tale of terror. A tale for the night time. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. You did that quite well. I yeah. think quite believable. Uh, what book are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about Hawksmoor by Peter Ackroyd. Yes, published in 1986. 85. 85, was it? I hope it's 85. 85. Otherwise, we've researched the Sorry. wrong years. 1985. You are correct. That doesn't trouble me at all. <laughs> because it doesn't trouble Peter Ackroyd no, at all. No, indeed. Either. Indeed. Yes, uh, the, the, the book's uh, rather slippery hold on, on dates. Well, I, as an author, he says his, his main topic of all his novels is time. That's what he's interested in. And the, the, the nature of time. The nature of time. Uh, which is a slippery fish. And uh, so this book is about uh, two stories entwined, is it not? Yeah, entwined in time. Yeah, so the first story is about Nicholas Dyer, an architect in the early 18th century, who has been assigned... He's the surveyor of works for yeah. the new churches. For the new churches, and he's building six churches, seven churches. Seven churches. Seven churches. Quite quickly. Very quickly. Very quickly. Uh, yeah. Unrealistically. Impossibly quickly. <laughs> Impossibly quickly. Yeah. And then the second strand is the present day story of a private, of a police officer called Hawksmoor. Who is invest- Hawksmoor. Who is investigating six murders. Yeah. Possibly seven. Yeah. Uh, that were all taking place at the site of the churches that Nicholas Dyer built. Yes. Now, the only real thing about yeah. this is the churches. Yeah. There are six uh, churches, yeah. as described, but they are not uh, architected by someone called Nicholas Dyer. They are architected by somebody called Nicholas Hawksmoor, the name of the police officer. See what he did there. So there are games being played yeah. here yeah. about names and dates and places, which is, of course, perfect for us. Also worth saying that um, Nicholas Dyer has a project and his project is to uh, essentially bring raise devils uh, and and worship satan um, well, i think he's through himself to ascend he becomes a sort of transient person through time he does. Who, who 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 can murder people well, be he, both the victim and the murderer across he believes time. that satan uh, rules the world he uh, does believe is, that. He's, but he's raising his churches in, in honour of Satan. We're going to start the podcast in a non-churchy location, actually. Yes. Our only non-churchy location Well, you today. were getting quite aerated about this. Well, we're going to start Scotland Yard. Yes. yes. I think anyone in the UK knows that Scotland Yard is not in Scotland Yard. In Correct. In fact, Scotland Yard 
old Scotland Yard is not even in Scotland Yard anymore and would explain as to what that rather complicated construction means. But we will find us in Scotland Yard just off Whitehall. Yes, uh, south of Trafalgar Square, between the river and Trafalgar Square and Whitehall. Yeah, I'm not convinced Peter Ackroyd knows where Scotland Yard is. I'm not convinced he cares. I had a violent headache, and although there was only a small fire in the closet, I was feeling unnatural hot and walked out into Scotland Yard. I knew that others employed in the office might stare at me, for I am an object of ridicule to them, and so I hastened my steps to the wood yard next to the wharf where, since the workmen were at their dinner, I might walk silent and unseen. This being the middle of winter and a strong wind blown up, the river was pretty high for this spot, and the water was at times like to start a second deluge, while on the side opposite the fields were quite darkened, as if in a mist. So we're sitting where that wharf would have been, Tim. It's Halloween. And it's Halloween. Yeah. And I've been reading about Satanism. Have you? Yeah. Do you know how to do it now? Yes. Do you know what you have to do? What do you have to do? We're going to summon the devil today. It's all about um, sigils. If we walk the pentagram... Yes. The satanic pentagram, and um, and we light a candle... Just one? Yeah, that's it. Just the one. It seems a bit easy. Then we can summon a devil. We're not sure which one, though. Right. I'm a bit confused. I've been reading about all kinds of different satanism. There's, there's about sort of 100 flavours of it. Are there? Yeah, you pick and choose. You oh. can pick and choose. Okay. So um, later on, we might decide which kind of satanism we're into. Yeah. We could even start our own church, actually. It seems like you only need about three of you. It's three, the magic number? <laughs> Seven seems Seven's to be the, the magic number. No, no the satanic no, six, number. Isn't it? Six, isn't it? What, what year were you born in? 66. Of course. Well, can I just say then, I was reading up about this, um, about Anton LaVey, who is one of the fathers of modern Satanism. He he founded a church of Satan in the 60s, because it was big in the 60s. But he says here that in 1960s, on Walpurgisnacht, April the 30th, 1966, he ritualistically shaved his head in the ancient tradition of executioners and declared the founding of the Church of Satan and proclaimed 1966 as the year one, Anno Satanus, the first year of the age of Satan. Oh my God. That's you, that is. Well, before we get on to Satan, (laughs) can we drag it back into the real world for a moment? Okay. So we're sat here because um, we're starting off our, uh, our, our Hawksmoor walk at Scotland Yard. Which is where his um, his office is, Nicholas, Nicholas Dyer. Dyer's office. Yeah, um, and also later on, uh, Nicholas Hawksmore, the police officer, the contemporary police officer in the contemporary story, um, is based at New Scotland Yard. Yes, which is odd because they're not the same thing. Of course they are. So Scotland Yard was the headquarters of the Metropolitan Police in the nineteenth century original Scotland Yard, Great Scotland Yard. Uh, we've just been walking around the streets around there. It's quite hard. You can't locate the original building because that whole area was rebuilt uh, in sort of the early 1900s. The other reason it's interesting, though, is that Inigo Jones was based there. Okay. Christopher Wren was based there. And John uh, Milton was there for a while as well. Oh, interesting. So they were all in that milieu because it was just off Whitehall. So Christopher Wren features in this book. And Christopher Wren is a big part of this book. Yeah. Um, and Christopher Wren obviously was the man who led to the rebuilding of London after the 1666 fire uh, and Nicholas Hawksmoor the real Nicholas Hawksmoor worked for him as yep. surveyor of works this book came out in 1985 that the Metropolitan Police were then based at New Scotland Yard which is nowhere near here it wasn't here the New Scotland Yard was just off Victoria Street yes um, so it's just convenient for the for the wordplay, isn't it, of Scotland it's Yard? It's convenient with the wordplay, but the, you know, obviously the, the whole psychogeography thing that Alcroyd's playing with—that these places are 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 are, are, are are both placed in the same space geographically, yeah. But also the trick he's playing, which he gets from Sinclair, which we'll talk about. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Is yeah. that they're also somehow linked in time? They are, and Scotland Yard cannot be linked to New Scotland Yard in place because it's not the same place so there's nothing spooky about New Scotland Yard then well I mainly associate New Scotland Yard with that very ugly municipal building that it was in and then the big triangular 
I suppose a triangle. The triangle sign might be significant. Pyramids, right? triangle is going to be very uh, big in this. The rotating triangular sign that was on oh, the beginning. Oh yeah, of it's probably going at um, 66.6 rpm as well, isn't it? I think that's quite fast, isn't it? You won't be able to see the sign <laughs> if it's going that fast. <laughs> yeah, but then when it goes that fast, it doesn't say New Scotland no, no, Yard anymore. It says your master. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is six, six, six. So Peter Ackroyd, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about him, his biography. Don't bother. I oh, don't bother. <laughs> don't bother. <laughs> is it not something that we should do? Well, I read an interview with him in The Guardian where he says... I'm not big on biography, as you can tell. I just don't find it interesting. I don't find myself interesting as a person, and the details I find boring, quite frankly. You could sum it up in a few words or sentences, really. Came from nothing, self-educated, luck, energy, curiosity, ambition. That's it. Nothing at all can illuminate the work, as far as I can tell. So, Lloyd, would you like to... Uh... So, Peter Acker was born in, uh, <laughs> in London... <laughs> A raised on a council estate in East Acton. Yeah. Right? means Why? nothing. It means nothing. None of this means anything. Um, he, he described it as a strict Roman Catholic household, mm -hmm. raised by women, his mother and grandmother. He says he first knew he was gay when he was seven years old. All right. And he went to uh, St. Benedict's in Ealing and Clare College, Cambridge, yeah. in which he graduated with a double first in English literature. He's a clever boy, clearly. He's a self-made man. Yes, he is, yes. A uh, self-made literary man. Uh, he went on to then, he almost immediately became the literary editor of The Spectator just he by did. writing a letter to the editor. In his 20s, yeah. And was there for a while, right? Oh, he's, yeah, he's a proper spectator, regular, yeah, isn't yeah. he? I, you not. can imagine with the lunches. I, I, I assume that's a form of Masonic ritual is to be hanging out of The Spectator. I think it probably is, yeah. I wonder if there's, uh, I wonder if they have to roll their trousers up. It's probably more, more take their trousers down in The Spectator. Isn't it? <laughs> it depends which editor you're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah. Charles Moore, keep them on. <laughs> Boris Johnson, take them <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> repeatedly <laughs> it goes up and down <laughs> quite literally um he was uh interested in being a poet in our thomas hardy uh on america Bridge, we talked about how hardy always wanted to be a poet and yeah. saw novels as being the kind of day job really yeah that's right um Ackroyd had an interest I, I love the quote about he describes a prose fiction as being too untidy Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I've not seen that. I That's don't get the sense of that from Hawksmoor, that it's too untidy. It seems quite precise to me. Like, he's sort of worked I think over he's a very, few times. Yeah, he's obviously very organised, because, I mean, he cranks out the books, doesn't he, as well? Well, he, well I read something about his his, write, his working habits, is mm. that he starts writing at 9 o'clock in the morning, yeah, and then just literally writes j the whole day, starts drinking at the end of the day, and yeah. then just carries on writing until almost until he passes out. Yes. An extraordinary well, kind of shamanistic view of uh, how it all happens. He's got a he's got an he's got an office in Bloomsbury. I think he's got a house he's got a flat or a house in Knightsbridge, and then he right. takes a taxi over to Bloomsbury. <laughs> he did live down in Devon or Dorset in the for a while with he his did. partner. His partner, yeah. then his partner died of AIDS. Yeah. He came back to London, and yeah. then he's been celibate. He claims to have been celibate ever since. Yeah. Well, the drinking's a thing. When he was interviewed, they said to him, "What do you do other than write? What do you do to relax in the evening?" He just says, "I drink." That's about it. Yeah. So he's very open about it. But then he was also, I think, because he's been portrayed as a bit of a drunk, he has fired back at one point and said, if I was hardly ever sober, how would I have written 30 fucking books? Uh, fair point. So, I don't know. Have you ever written drunk any of your books? Uh, no. And he loves London, does he not? He does love London. He's written, I mean, he wrote famously the London The Biography, which is yeah. a fantastic work. Um, he describes what he writes... A, a historical. I mean, he's, he's writing or has written a history of England. Has he, I don't think he's finished. He's it yet, still going. It? I think. Yeah. Uh, started with foundation. He describes that that stuff as historical sociology, not as history. Ah. Which, in the case of London, the biography is a good job because 
I think there's a lot of ahistorical stuff in there. He kind of likes to, I think he likes to blend reality and myth. I mean, his point is, is that, you know, the myth is as real as the reality. So yes. why would you not? He's got another together? phrase called territorial imperative, the territorial imperative. Right. That places have a, have a vibe. Yeah. And they have it always. And it affects everybody who's there over time. Yeah. That they're, they're fashioned by place. And he particularly thinks this about London. He does. That certain parts of London just have an inescapable sort of atmosphere in a way that will influence you or and change you. Particularly churches designed by Hawksmoor. I mean, that's right. Yeah. So that's what we're going to be doing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. We're so basically going to be uh, we're going to be taking we're going to be victims of the territorial imperative. Right. We're going to have to say psychogeography at some point. Oh well, uh, bless you. <laughs> I have lived in this city all my life. I was born on a council estate in West London. It was the very best start in life I could have had. From an early age, the city became the landscape of my imagination. I have seen London torn apart by bombs and race riots. I've been mugged. I've been drunk on its streets. I've known its celebrities its vagrants and its forgotten people. In 1999, I completed an unusual work of biography in which I told the life story of this, the greatest city on earth. I described London as a living, breathing being which is capable of vengeance and great violence. The day after I submitted the final manuscript, I suffered a massive heart attack. I spent many hours on a surgeon's table in a London hospital, having bypass surgery. I felt that I was being confronted with one of the oldest truths about this city. London can kill. Sirs, I beg leave to acquaint the board that the churchyard of Spitalfields, as originally drawn on the survey, will be so very small that burials will grow extremely inconvenient. It were necessary for me to take up the leg of the steeple and the foot of the columns in the body of the church to make more room, but that I have designed a sepulture removed from the fabric of the church. I have used the manner of the building the sepulture as it was in the fourth century in the purest time of Christianity, as you may see from the draft enclosed, and then upon the ground I have formed a white pyramid in the manner of the Glastonbury church, but little and framed of rough stone without the lime, this also in the manner of the early Christian. What pyramid? We can't find a pyramid. We're at uh, Christ's. Spitalfields. Christchurch Spitalfields. Christchurch Spitalfield. It's a magnificent building. Yeah. And we are sitting outside the south wall at the moment, mm. looking over the, presumably the former churchyard, which is now just like a little park. It's called Christchurch Park, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Christchurch it, Garden. There is, a, there is a mausoleum type structure behind us, yes. which has got an obelisk on it. Obelisk? 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 There's no pyramid. We went round the back, had a look round there, couldn't well, see it. I was anything. convinced there was a pyramid here. Yeah, me and too. And I'm trying to work out why I was convinced. Mean, I think it might be mentioned in From Hell, the, the Alan Moore novel about Jack the Ripper. Do you think it's been removed? Maybe it's been removed. It, but I can't even find a reference to online. I said no, it's been excised from the record. It's been excised from the record because of the, the terrible power that you it think has. that's what it is? It's been removed. There's no tunnel here either. He talks about. Well, we the don't tunnel. know that actually, because. They, they did do an enormous amount of archaeological excavation in here when they refurbished this church. Right. And, 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 and within the crypt. So um, there may so, have been a tunnel. So it, it's possible. The thing about this is, this, um, at the time of writing, this church was pretty derelict and empty. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a mess, wasn't it? A right old mess. They were talking, even talking about tearing it down. They, they were. Um, and in fact, I think it was... Um, the Bishop of Stepney, Trevor Huddleston, who he was the campaign. He was um, in the sixties to um, try and get it. Get it. I think it was bombed, wasn't it? But nearby, it was quite near yeah. a bomb site as well. It was also in part of the crypt. There was a rehab centre for homeless alcoholic men. 
Um, so there's a reason why we're here. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's it's the part. It's it's where. So the city's been encroaching here. Mm. There's lots of been lots of rows over places like Norton Folgate being built over and Spitalfields being redeveloped into shushi, shishi boutiques. Yeah, it's almost like this is the li- this is the place at which the tide of the city stops yes. on this side of the road. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of great photographers who've done photographs around here of uh, the homes and, and the peop- local people. Uh, Don McCullen's series around here is very well, good. Well, lots of artists, it? as we discovered. Huh? And lots of artists, as we discovered. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Yeah. coming out of the churchyard earlier on. Oh, yes. <laughs> I did an extraordinary double take. <laughs> well, I came out of the uh, churchyard yeah. and passed... Is it Gilbert and George or yes. George and Gilbert? Gilbert and George. I came out of the pa- and passed Gilbert and George walking down Commercial Road looking exactly how you want Gilbert they were in to look green like. sort of railway ticket uh, yeah. uh, 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 officers uh, tweed suits just fantastic matching and they, they walked past me outside the church and I said afternoon gents and they said afternoon and then I stopped and looked back because I knew you were coming out of the park and they were going to hit the entrance to the park at just the point at which you were coming out and you did it so beautifully you came out just as they appeared and did the, the most Hollywood double take it was superb <laughs> Um, but yeah, so were they just wandering up and down yeah. the street? But it was, um, I think, it, I think as a place, it must have been quite inspiring for this novel because it's a it's a spooky, derelict Hawksmoor hotel with lots of vagrants and homeless people. Um, like well, I think it's one of those places you have to. I think you have On to the edge walk of the city. up to it. To if you've not been here, mm. get, come to Liverpool Street Street Station and walk through Spitalfields. And you will see the church, and it rises up. There's not really any tall buildings around it. Mm. It dominates the skyline around here. It's massive, really impressive. And you know, to quote Dyer, it's it's terrible. You know, in, in the old meaning of the words, yeah. it's full of terror. Well, um, between 1984 and 1986, I.e., when, when the book, book came out, was coming out, right? That was when they raised the funds to sort of start the restoration. And they employed an archaeological team who excavated nearly 1,000 internments. It was a plague pit, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, well, do you know what? They had to be so they had to be so careful about this that they were worried that by going in there and yeah. digging it up, they were going to release a plague release of smallpox. The yeah. They were all going to catch smallpox. Wow. So they had to clean it out for that. Wow. Um, so they were very worried about that. Three nine, 390 of them were identifiable with coffin nameplates. Amazing. What I hadn't realised about it, because one of the things that you said is very striking, because it's very sort of white Portland stone, yeah. they didn't actually clean that until 1997. Well, you're going to see it St Anne's. That's only, oh, really? That's, that was cleaned fairly recently as well. Yeah. So it would have been black. Yeah, it would have been black. Which is quite something, isn't it? I'm very disappointed there's no pyramid. That, yeah. I, that, that is that strange. Feels like a, it's strange that we both thought it was here. That feels like a miss. Yeah. And um, the fact that he wants to have one there, and then he hasn't got one there. Yeah. I still can't quite believe it isn't I, around here well, somewhere. That, it's just cheating. That's what it is. It's cheating. Pyramid cheating. So, I mean, it, it, it almost means it's not satanic. It's just a church. We're going to talk about 1985. 1985. The year that this book was published. It was a funny year, I would say. You look at the events of the year, there's a lot of weird madness in the air. I wrote down England's Dreaming in my... Did you? England's Dreaming turns into a nightmare, I oh, wrote in my notes. Gosh, you're, are you, are I'm you a becoming a poet? pretentious toe rag. <laughs> Tons of riots that year, yeah. including Brixton. Brixton riots in yes. 1985. Um, Heisel Stadium was 1985. Oh, God. Yeah, lots of hooliganism. Broadwater Farm. Broadwater Farm. Bradford City Fire. Yeah. It was just all, there was a, the plane crash in Manchester. 55 people died. Right. There's deaths all over the place. And a lot of mud. Mud. There lots of murders around. Well, and, do you uh, think this is all just because we've just started the new world of Thatcherism and everyone's having a bit of a kind of moment. Of well, life. unemployment is over three million. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that's going on, before we get to the murders, the cows are going mad, obviously, in 1985. So the first case of BSE in cattle was reported in 1985. Oh, really? 
So you've got hooliganism, you've got cows going mad, you've got planes falling out of the sky, you've it's got like burning buildings. It's like the devil is taking over. It's like Satan has come again. Satan has come again. Uh, and so, yeah, I was very struck by uh, that that. By, I, mean, I, I, I was reading it going, well, what was I doing in 1985? And I realised, well, actually, for a large part of the year, I wasn't in the country. I was in Australia. How were you? <laughs> yeah. She didn't even notice. I didn't even notice. I was actually playing in a band all that summer in London. Yeah. And I didn't notice the riots <laughs> either. I was either playing in the pub or sleeping. That Ooh. was it. Yeah. So I wasn't doing much That's else. That's all you were doing, playing and sleeping. Yeah. Yes, Tim. That's all you were doing. <laughs> In a band in London in 1985, <laughs> playing and sleeping. Okay. And that's the story I'm sticking to. Okay. The other thing I wanted to talk about in 1985, the Battle of the Beanfield. I knew you wanted to talk about Dyer that. Now, Nicholas Dyer and Christopher Wren go to Stonehenge, don't they? They do. Very good scene. Yes, it is a good scene. Excellent yeah. scene. Mm. Um, and also the other thing about um, uh, Nicholas Dyer is he's got this theory, which he gets from a, a Puritan writer called Aylett Sands, yes. that the Druids were actually Satanists. Of course they were. Anyway, so the Battle of the Beanfield was, you know, when the police started fighting the Druids in 1985. End so, of days. Uh, 1st of June 1985, Wiltshire police prevented the peace convoy, a convoy of several hundred New Age travellers, including many Druids. There we are. So the Masons uh, were fighting the Druids. They were, exactly. The Masons <laughs> fighting the Druids. Excellent point. And they were trying to set up the 1985 Stonehenge Free Festival, and the police stopped them. That was, was the last inc- one, wasn't it? Incredibly violent. It was yeah. an incredibly violent incident. Um, the, the civil court judgment in '91 awarded 21 of the travellers damages for false imprisonments, damage to property, and wrongful arrest. Yeah. This is also the same time as the the miners' strike. In you know, is, yes, it is. is yeah, I was going to say they come they, they come for the they come for the druids, and then the they, miners are next. Yeah, yeah. If, if, then if, the print workers in yeah, Wapping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and before long, the podcasters will be in trouble. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, it was, it's it's the end of the druids. In 1985. Well, they're driven underground, aren't they? They're driven underground. They're not, they're, they're never well, we had the Druids in uh, an earlier podcast, didn't we, about yeah. uh, uh, the, the remains, remains of the, of the day. day. Because he didn't go to Stonehenge. No, Uther Pendragon, we, uh, we, we... Well, you just put that in. Cause you, well, you, you, yeah. you're, you're as bad as me with Gresham's references. You try and get a Druid reference I in wherever you can. I try and get can. a Druid reference in every time. If yeah. I could find a Druid who went to Gresham's, it would be double whammy, <laughs> it wouldn't would it? It would blow my mind. Yeah. We'd have to end the podcast right there. <laughs> now, in terms of um, other satanic things going on at that time... Yeah. And I think this will interest you. Um, is that uh, uh, there were two teenagers in America who shot themselves, having listened to a record where they felt there were subliminal, or their parents felt there were subliminal satanic messages. It was a record by an English heavy metal band, Judas Priest, who stained the class. Yes, and apparently, if you play it backwards, yeah. one track in particular, it's it, you can hear uh, the lead singer. What's his name? Rob Halford. Rob Halford. You can hear him going, do it, do it. Yeah. Apparently. Apparently. Anyway, they've never tried it. Well, How do they all these people playing this stuff backwards? I've never been able to figure that out. Yeah. You can't just question. play a record backwards, can you? Well, it takes a lot of effort, doesn't it? It would wreck, wreck your record player, wouldn't it? I think if you're a teenager and you're looking for sort of uh, satanic stuff to be influenced by, that I, I can't believe there's any teenager in the world who makes that much effort. To play a record backwards. And Maybe someone who's listening to this can tell us how are these how were these people in the nineteen eighties before the invention of digital software um, playing all this record stuff backwards? How were they doing it? I never understood that. Anyway, there was a court case. The parents sued Judas Priest for the death of their children wow. for sending out satanic messages. Wow. There's some great stuff on YouTube where the lead singer is ha- is in the dock being asked questions yeah. about, so do you put satanic messages in your album? No. Yeah. Um, but then he did a magnificent thing, which is he came to court with the tracks, uh, playing them backwards, and said, actually, I've discovered that every track's got a secret message if you listen hard <laughs> enough. Yeah. And he said, Fan played a track with one of them that said something like, would you like a peppermint? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the point when the judge went, this is rubbish. Yeah. Get it. And another slippery thing about Peter Ackroyd saying that he's walking around uh, the East End doing research around these churches, that, he's, uh, that he walks, he says he walks from Limehouse to Wapping and he, you know, he's, he's, yeah. he, he does all this. Kind a of long way. Why has he not noticed... Why has he not noticed that the Pogues and Elvis Costello are down at a whopping studio on Narrow Street recording Rum, Sod- Sodomy and the Lash? Well, you would think that Peter Acker would be quite interested in Rum, Sodomy and the Lash. <laughs> well, so, at least two of those. Uh, yeah, so he didn't... He didn't um, so he they were recording in 1985 in Wapping. Yeah. 
No, they're on narrow. They're on narrow. That end of Narrow Street. That's nearer. Nearer Limehouse. Yeah, nearer okay. Limehouse in the right. warehouse there. Wow. One of the warehouses. Wow. It was a recording studio. Is that where they recorded it? Yeah, yeah. And Amazing. they would have all been tipped out there into local pubs, wouldn't they? They'd all be there. They'd probably hang around the churchyard with tin cans with those lot, don't you think? Yeah, I think they probably would. You're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that is curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. If you want to hear part two of this episode immediately uh, and without any ads, you need to check out our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com and search for Curiously Specific. Yes, for just £2 a month, you get access to all our content, plus we publish our show notes with all the links and information and our research that we've done for you, listener. Uh, And we've added photographs uh, that we take on our walks and some videos. And we also attempt to make little maps for you so that if I say that guardedly... Yeah. uh, He knows I'm doing this one. (laughs) So that if you uh, wanted to have your own adventure with this book, uh, we'd make it very easy for you. So part two of uh, our Hawksmoor adventure is already there up on the server. You can listen to it right now if you head over to Patreon and hand over a couple of quid. And for £5, you could join our Discord server where there's a small community of people talking about the books we've done and about books we might do in the future. And we're sharing more exclusive content about our field trips. Um, And what we're not doing, obviously, is there's nothing Masonic going on. We don't talk backwards and we don't roll up our trouser legs. So you're very well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We are going home, says I, and pointed out to him the church of St. Mary Woolnoff with the scaffolding upon it. This is no home, Nick, at least not for a live man. He makes to laugh out loud, but I put my hand over his mouth. Quiet, I said, the watchman may hear us. To which he replied, there is no watchman. The watchman has gone from this site. Why did you not know this when you wrote expressly? And then he goes on, let me climb up the scaffolding. Let me climb up and see the moon. Well, we've certainly got scaffolding. The noise of scaffolding is adjacent to St Mary Woolnoff. Uh, well, we're sitting in the old General Post Office building. Which is Amazing, they stuck a post office. An arcade of Pretamonges. And, yeah. And uh, we're behind the back of St Mary Woolnoff, and there's a building going on, which you can probably hear. Yeah. Uh, and we're sitting by the scaffolding. Yeah, where Sonic, uh, Nicholas Dyer you, kills... I've forgotten his name. What's the yeah. chap's name he kills? Hayes. 
Hayes who kills him. Yes, because he thinks Hayes is sending him anonymous letters and, uh, and has found out that he's a yeah. Satanist and he will be outed, so he needs to get rid of him. Yeah. And he needs a blood sacrifice for the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so, St Mary Woolnoff. St Mary Woolnoff is the only Hawksmoor church that's actually within the city of London. Is that right? All the other ones is a around very the ancient edge. word, I think. Sorry? Woolnoff is quite an ancient word. I think it's suggests... yes, an old Saxon word, isn't it? Yes, but I think the idea is there was a Saxon church on top of this one. This is about the fourth church that's been built. Well, they also there. thought there was a Roman church underneath yeah, the Yeah, right? that's right. So, uh, Raymond. And then, the, the, obviously, there's now... Uh, the, the main thing I know about St Mary Woolnoff yeah. is that they were going to knock it down to build Bank Station on the oh, underground. Right. And we did actually find like, a secret entrance to Bank Station underneath the church. There's That's also, good, isn't it? There's also a lift yeah. just around the corner. There's a little lift down. Because basically Bank Station is the crypt. They claimed, this is a bit cheeky of London Underground, is that obviously they applied to have the church knocked down and uh, there was an outcry. And then after they weren't allowed to knock it down and they built an underground station anyway, they then said, oh, the church is now stronger. We've actually shored it up stronger than it was. We've oh, nice. Impro- we've improved it. Nice. So to, to we just got rid of all the bodies. Yes, they had to get rid of a lot of bodies out of there. Um, obviously, the most famous thing I would say about St Mary Woolnoff, I was here last week to celebrate the centenary of the publication of The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. Yes. Because it's mentioned in that I would say that's the poem. most famous thing about it. What's the, oh, really? <laughs> I would say that people, Mary Woolnoff is about the only thing people would know about it. There is a Peter Ackroyd connection, isn't there? Because he wrote a biography of it. He did. I've got it at home. I've never read it. <laughs> I don't trust it. <laughs> you don't fancy it? No, I don't. I have to say, I'm not going to name names, but uh, that we had the live reading of The Wasteland in St Mary Walnut last week. It's the world's worst reading of a poem I've ever experienced. <laughs> it was really I just bad. think a live reading of The Wasteland is a bad idea, full stop. Not, actually, do you know what? It was much better. It was quite good to hear it read out. Oh, okay. Rather than thinking of it as a textual poem. Uh, I don't think, I think of it as a read out. It's quite good poem. to read it out. Okay. I'd say. Do you want a little reading? Uh, what, from you? Uh, yeah. You this, will, do, what, this will be the second world's What worst. character are you going to do? This will be the second world. Well, What's your the, theme? Well, at the beginning of the poem, do it, of course, you'll, be, you'll be familiar with, is that he, it, the first thing he says is it, he, he, do, the, he do the police, he do the police in several voices. voices. Yeah, yeah. A crowd flowed over London Bridge, so many. I had not thought death had undone so many. Sighs, short and infrequent, were exhaled, and each man fixed his eyes before his feet, flowed up the hill and down King William Street, to where St Mary Woolnoth kept the hours, with a dead sound on the final stroke of nine. There you go. There's a little bit of, there's a little bit good. of uh, Nicholas Dyer in there. It's a bit diaresque, isn't it? Yes. Of that Kept of the, the, the dead walk. hours. The dead hours. Should be seven rather than nine, though, should it? Should be seven, of course. Yeah. But he's thinking about being a bank clerk rather than a Satanist. He was a bank clerk, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Can bank clerks be Satanists? Oh, I would have thought so. They have very well-run accounts. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Winter kept us warm, covering earth in forgetful snow, feeding a little life with dried tubers. So this appeared in Reed's Weekly Journal on the 27th of March, 1736. Thursday morning died at this house on Millbank, Westminster, in a very advanced age, the learned and ingenious Nicholas Hawksmoor, Esquire, one of the greatest architects this or the preceding century has produced. In his private life, he was a tender husband, a loving father, a sincere friend, and a most agreeable companion. Nor could the most poignant pains of gout, which he for many years laboured under, ever ruffle or discompose his evenness of temper. And as his memory must always be dear to his country, so the loss of so great and valuable man insensibly, and in a more particular manner felt by those who had the pleasure of his personal acquaintance and enjoyed the happiness of his conversation. There we are. So that was written about Nicholas Hawksmoor, the architect, by his son-in-law. There we are. 
So he's he's a perfectly he's, nice chap. He's not at all like Nicholas Dyer. No, he's not at all. <laughs> he cannot be claimed to have happy conversation in any way. Well, he's not like Hawksmoor, the police officer, either. No, no. Who, so who, who, you ha- nobody has a happy conversation with him, either. So we would hate anyone who was uh, reading Hawksmoor or listening to this podcast to think yeah. that the real Nicholas Hawksmoor wasn't anything other than a very Perfect. talented architect, self-made man, yes. born in, 60, in 1661 in Ripon. Not in Ripon. In Nottinghamshire, wasn't it? In he? Nottinghamshire, big yeah. fun. Clark to Christopher Wren at age 18. Yeah. Worked as a surveyor to the Commissioner for Sewers for four years. Oh. So I wonder whether he knew about London Below. Oh, do you think he's done a bit of um, yeah. the, the bits that Marcus the Carabas in Neverwhere ran around in? Yeah, absolutely. Probably did, didn't he? Yeah. Worked a lot with John Vanborough. Nicholas Dyer has a terrible relationship with Hawksmoor and thinks he's a, thinks he's a dandified idiot. Yes. Um, uh, anyway, he worked the real Hawksmoor worked with Vanbrugh on Blenheim and at Castle Howard, where he built a massive pyramid. Massive pyramid. So he was obsessed with obelisks. He was obsessed with pyramids. obelisks and pyramids. But enormous obelisk in Ripon. Why Just would a standalone obelisk. Just What's a it huge, for? huge, tall thing. I don't know. Now he did build six churches in London. He did build uh, yeah. the six churches that we visited. Yes, but uh, not as quickly as he says in the book. No, it took. 20, I mean, they weren't even all finished by the time he died, uh, but he designed them. I think this is a sign of the mistrust I have. you have to have with this book. Well, is, in the book, the implication is that there are... Uh, we'll come on to dating later on, but the implication is that there are three three churches being built in 1712. Yes. Uh, and then by the time you get to 1715... They're all done. They're all done. And that's just not true, right? That's not, but there was a commission for churches up in 1711. Well, let's, let's get this And they raised straight. funds by taxes on coal to build new churches in London. They were going to nice. build 50. That's right. Build 50 churches. Yeah, yeah. And then they only built eight, six of which were designed by Hawksmoor, yeah. and the other two, the roofs, were designed by Hawksmoor. So okay. his fingerprints are all I over. Saw, I think they, I've seen the consecration dates for most of them, and they're in the late uh, 1720s. Yeah. So uh, so he, he was still alive when they were finished. Yeah. Uh, just. Not all of them. I think there's one that was unfinished oh, in really? 1736. Okay. Yeah. Look, the first paragraph of this book... Thus, in 1711, the ninth year of the reign of Queen Anne, an Act of Parliament was passed to erect seven new parish churches in the cities of London and Westminster, which commission was delivered to Her Majesty's Office of Works in Scotland Yard, and the time came when Nicholas Dwyer, architect, began to construct a model of the first church. That's a nonsense. Well, there we are. The com- <laughs> I look up the commission for building 50 new churches. Yeah. That, was a, it was a, that was an Act of Parliament from ni- 1710. Yeah. Not 1711, yep. and there were 50 of them. Mm-hmm. So, right from the off, he's a twister. He's a, he's 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 fictionalising history. <laughs> it's historical sociology, Tim. It's not history. Yeah, but the churches are real. The churches are real, very real. I mean, they're they're you know, you go to them and they're stunningly real. Yeah, they really are, <laughs> and, and solid, inst- you know, amazing things. I think well, having done the walk now, the one thing that strikes me about what they're like now, as opposed to what they would have been like in the 80s when he's researching this book and writing this book. They were in a really bad state of disrepair and dereliction, nearly well, all of them in the 80s. Well, crucially, they were all probably nearly black in colour. Well, that's important, isn't it? Because they are, in fact, all made of sort of white Portland stone. And that's the point. At the same time as the body of the child had been found in the grounds of St. Alphegas, another body had been discovered propped against the back wall of St. George's Bloomsbury, where it runs alongside Little Russell Street. Hawksmoor had visited that place, and to those and to those officers already working there he had seemed almost indifferent. It was not indifference, however, but agony. The pattern, as Hawksmoor saw it, was growing larger, and as it expanded, seemed about to include him and his unsuccessful investigations. He left the office quietly, made his way out of the yard, and as he walked through the clear night to St George's Bloomsbury, the cold December air turned his breath into clouds of moisture which rose above his head. He paused at the corner of Russell Street and New Oxford Street. He walked quickly up to the church, opening the iron gate which led to the small courtyard beside it. Well... Here we are. Here we are. We're right back at St George's Bloomsbury, where there's a body discovered propped against the back wall. We walked through the Iron Gate. The rather amusingly, he talks about being able to see the crypt entrance. 
mm. uh, from the road at St George's. These days, the crypt is the Museum of Comedy. Yes, very good. Which is about as far away from this book as I can think of something being. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no jokes in this book, are there? Well, there are jokes, but they're quite dark. Yeah. Well, so Nicholas Dyer makes a few. Was there a, was there a laugh out loud moment for you? Nicholas Dyer makes a few jokes. <laughs> so did you say he tripped on the stairs as he went down the crypt? He does, yeah. Yeah. I wonder whether there'd, there might have been a banana skin there. <laughs> that would have been a prefiguring of the Museum of Comedy. <laughs> That's very psychogeographical. Somebody died here slipping on a banana skin. Okay, let's open the Museum of Comedy. <laughs> That's funny, that is. That's funny. <laughs> so, we're, yeah, so, we're at Blue, so just to let you know where we are in yes. terms of London, still in the West End, just about, just off New Oxford Street, which mm. is a continuation of Oxford Street. Uh, and we're just near the British Museum. Uh, between New Oxford Street and Little Russell Street. The reason why people make up stories about this church in particular, I think, is that Hawksmoor, of course, liked to... Um, he liked to sort of mix... Up the real Hawksmoor we're talking about. The right? real Hawksmoor. He liked to mix his architectural styles. Right. So his original intention with these churches was he wanted to get back to the kind of sort of square temples mm-hmm. that early Christians would have gathered in. Mm-hmm. So that's why most of these churches you'll see they have quite a square sort of Well they was also trying to create an as- a Protestant aesthetic, right? Yes. That was the whole point. They were Protestant churches yeah. for a Protestant monarch. Um, so they plonked a big statue of George I on the top of the tower here. It's got very unusual. So it's got this block here then it's got a kind of tower with a pyramid yeah. on it Yeah. and then George I sitting yeah. on top. If you've ever seen one of the prints of Hogarth Gin Lane, it's in that, isn't it's it? In, it's in the background yeah. there. And then beneath George I, there's the lion and the unicorn. Mm-hmm. A very uh, opulent unicorn with, with a, a big gold, gold yeah. spirally horn. Yes, that wasn't actually because it had disappeared for quite a while. I think it, I'm trying to think when that was, uh, I think it was 2006 or something like that. It's quite recent that somebody called Tim, a sculptor called Tim, made some new ones. And stuck them up there. Okay. <laughs> he don't worry. He didn't go to Gresham. Good sculptor, he didn't though. go to Greshams. Don't Tim, worry. Is it? Don't worry. Well, there's lots of mentions of the Greshamites in this book. <laughs> but um, the, the prosaic answer to why there's a lion and unicorn fighting there is that's a symbol of the Jacobean uprising, yes. isn't it? The suppression of the Jacobean uprising. So it's when you, when you dig down to it, when you yeah. dig down to it, there's all kinds of readings of these buildings of symbols, right? Of things that you, you might think are sort of. Gnostic and yeah. satanic, and um, and then there's usually quite a prosaic reason as to why they are like they are. Apart from this love of pyramids, this mixing of styles is that. So he had some Roman stuff, some Palladian, so the columns out the front, right? Yeah. He likes all that Greco-Roman stuff. Yeah. Um, then he's got sort of early Christian gathering points, and then he loves a lot. He likes a lot of Egyptian. He does. Doesn't he, he likes a lot of that. The stepped tower is apparently inspired by the mausoleum mausoleum at Helicarnassus. And the portico at the front is based on the Temple of Bacchus in Baalbek, Lebanon. Right. So he's taking stuff from all over the place. I think that's another reason why people get excited about him. I think to to, uh, be inspired by the Temple of Baalbek is probably not a good idea. No. It was said to have been a palace of Solomon's, which was put together by a genie and was given as a wedding gift to the Queen of Sheba. Now, there's a modern connection with that. It's not, it's not really a wedding gift you can take away with you, though, is it? <laughs> it's not, well, you buy them a house. It's, yeah, but it's holiday, a holiday temple. It's staying, yeah, a holiday temple. <laughs> it's quite nice. For, for your, August, and you for could your air, August prayer. You could Airbnb and get a bit of oh, revenue. Yeah, that's terrifying. Was she a big Airbnb? So Solomon's, the Queen of Sheba? Solomon's Temple. Your host, the Queen of Sheba. Solomon's Temple, the myth of the Solomon's Temple. That's all over these churches. Absolutely. He's massively into Solomon's Temple, which we've had before, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Which was in Rings of Saturn. Man making a little model of it in a farmhouse in East Anglia. Yeah, he was, yeah. Hmm. A massive model of it. So we're back to Solomon's Temple. But there is a modern connection with the Queen of Sheba, which is that Haile Selassie hung out in this church. Did he? The emperor. He did. Emperor of Ethiopia. Yes, indeed. There are photographs of him online here at a very controversial... Well... He was, because um, obviously he's related to the Queen of Sheba, <laughs> supposedly. So he's allowed to use the church in Lebanon? Well, I suppose that's why he makes rates. Haile Selassie, Queen of Sheba, at Solomon's Temple, Baal. Okay. 
once you get it's all part of the it's all part of the pattern once you, once you start to see the pattern you, it unravels like a thread you can, you can start like a satanic see, thread you can start to see the lines of force yeah well and also the lines of force here are um it's not not i don't think it's a coincidence either that it's at the british museum because the only lion that is surviving from the mausoleum at helicarnassus on which this is right is in the British Museum. Is it? We could go, it's in room 21 or 22. Mm. We could just go over there. I need to go to the loo anyway. Okay, let's go have a look. I need a wee. <laughs> it's not very satanic. I'm going to have a satanic wee. <laughs> So we're leaving uh, St George's Bloomsbury behind uh, oh. for uh, a week. Yes. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll be back in part two with this episode. Uh, we've still got some churches to go to. We've still got St George's in the east and St Anne's. So we're heading east. We're going the into the, 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 the heart of east darkness. We're going into the heart of darkness. The Ratcliffe Highway. And um, um, we're really starting to pace out the devil's symbol here. We really are. Uh, so we are going to be not. talking a lot about the devil next time. Uh, we're also going to be talking a lot about psychogeography. That's the, that's the third time you've said it now. That's enough. That's enough. Uh, and uh, we will also be visiting the uh, the ghostly uh, site of St. Hugh's. We so found look, it. So look out for that. Yes. Uh, Listener, that is quite a, a triumph. It's quite a find. So the fictional find. church of St. Hugh, where do you think it is? Because yeah. we think we, we know found exactly it. What it is. And uh, there's some interesting uh, associations with the modern world of finance that we're going to be talking you through. Um, so that's all in part two. Yeah. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you can hear that right now because it's there on the server waiting for you. That's right. Uh, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, A, why not? And B, you have to wait a week and mm. you can listen to it with ads. And we'll see you there in a week's time. Yes, as long as the devil doesn't get you first. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.